All right. Hello, everyone. Um, I am Eddie Landeros with MSJC's The Talon. Uh, we are doing our next talent talk, and our topic today is pretty serious, uh, but we do need to discuss it um, both within our talent members and also within our MSJC community. So we have Nick Pettis here, Dr. Weber, Jesus Alcala, Seda Perez, and Cindy Lopez Adronas here to talk about diversity and uh, what's been going on in the news lately. So if you've been following the news, um, you've known that there's been a lot of hate against Asian Americans. Um, and this kind of uh, started over in the Bay Area. There was uh, Asian Americans being pushed down and harmed because of uh, not only the coronavirus, but just um, and even the Lunar New Year that just happened recently. Uh, people referring to the coronavirus as the Chinese virus or the Kung flu. Um, so there's a lot of hatred uh, deep-rooted in Asian Americans. Um, and this hasn't just started. It's continued to go on, you know, from our past, our history. And um, as part of MSJC's equity pledge, we are trying to discuss these topics so that we can be, remain informed and put an end to uh, racism, uh, gender prejudice, and so on and so forth. So uh, I'm gonna turn it over to Dr. Weber because MSJC is doing a call to action. So Dr. Weber, could you please explain to us what the call to action is? Okay, um, basically what happened is Chancellor Oakley made a declaration for a system-wide call to action against structural and systemic racism. And as a result, Mount San Jacinto College is mobilizing to take action to eradicate racism on our campus that impacts students, faculty, classified professionals, and administrators. Um, and so the Board of Trustees adopted this, this action plan on June 25th, 2020, um, unanimously. And basically, the types of things that we're doing are systemic. So they're acknowledging that MSJC has some racism built into some of the policies because they've e existed for so long. So they're going to begin to center the voices of our African American and Black leaders. Um, another thing they want to do is represent and diversify staff faculty administrators. So it's um, more reflective of the student population that we serve. They're pushing diversity on faculty hiring committees, going through all the policies and procedures of the institution and re reviewing them. Um, the faculty just spent a whole six hour session working on how to integrate diversity into our curriculum, into our classrooms, how to not just have the textbook voice, but to bring in a variety of different voices. Um, and I think that's really important because the textbook manufacturers can be sort of one-sided. Um, they want to look at more professional development and learning for uh, faculty so they can be more sensitive. And then the final thing is creating community and belonging for African-American and Black students. And because we identified that 
the success rates were lower for that population, um, this action plan is focusing specifically on them. The equity pledge itself deals with the entire population, diversity, and um, striving for equity because it's definitely a hard thing to achieve. And the call to action is removing or dealing with structural and systemic racism. Gotcha. So it's a, a huge plan of removing systemic racism and issues that are coming about in the news today. Now, of course, last year we had a lot of um, uh, conflict and controversy when it came to uh, Black Lives Matter and um, what had happened with uh, police brutality, police uh, killings. And um, if you've been following the news as well, you'll realize that there were two people today um, that have been remembered, uh, which is Ahmaud Arbery and um, uh, Elijah Elijah. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were less than 25 years old and were killed by the police. Um, Elijah McClain would be 23 years old today um, if he uh, was alive. So, um, so there was a lot of push with MSJC and uh, America as a whole to recognize um, Black Americans and make sure that these systemic problems are not problems in the future, but we still have a long way to go. Now, right now, we have problems with uh, hatred for Asian Americans. And although this problem is not necessarily new, the issue has been brought to light right now because of the incidents that have happened. So with MSJC, have there been talks about what's going to happen with Asian Americans and being recognized? Has, uh, have you heard anything within the faculty and staff, uh, Dr. Weber? I have not, as far as that goes. Um, no, but the, the only thing um, was that um, when the whole COVID thing started, um, they did announce a no tolerance to bullying amongst the Asian community and they sent out a letter. So that was recognized. Gotcha. So, so there is uh, some recognition and um, it's probably going to be brought up in the future because this is hard to ignore. Um, but on, on that subject of Asian Americans, uh, do you, any of you feel, let, let's start with Jesus, because um, Jesus, I think you have some questions about um, what the equity pledge is doing or the call to action is gonna be doing. So uh, what questions do you have and have you seen any uh, hatred yourself, whether it's Asian Americans or uh, Black Americans? Uh, to answer that question, I have not seen any uh, myself, uh, or any overt, you know, who knows what anyone's actually feeling. But uh, on the topic of the e equity, I, I did have questions that I were brought up, which is, uh, um, we were talking earlier with, and Dr. Arthur mentioned that there is stuff behind the scenes and it may not be over. So I guess we could take this time to have Weber explain what's, what's going on behind the scenes to help uh, to take action on pursuing equity. Sure. Um, at the curriculum level, I think it's huge. The fact that we're actually revising each and every course that's going to be offered at MSJC to 
be equity minded and not just from an etho ethnocentric standpoint. Um, that's one huge thing, and it's going to be a big job to get these all of the courses at MSJC revised, but they will be over time. On the at the faculty level, I mean, just in my classroom alone, I'm going to create a social justice uh, module for the public speaking class because it's a huge platform with which to make change that people use as public speaking for social justice. But not only that, I plan on integrating a variety of different types of speeches from different cultures instead of just having American presidents, which is what we tend to get in public speaking that we see. Um, although we've had a, a few good ones, Barack Obama, for example, um, I want to pull from a variety of different places instead of just heading down a path that's from my focus or my viewpoint. So putting on the eyes of the student and seeing how they may feel in a classroom is, is what we're trying to do. Make our syllabus more friendly, um, be more supportive for our students. So there's a variety of different things. I think that the professional development that is in that call to action is something that is actually taking place as well. So, so those are some of the things that are happening. Gotcha. Okay. So there is a lot going on. Um, and it would, it will, it's going to be very interesting to see how the curriculum is affected. Um, if these changes are made. Uh, so say, Dell, you have a question for Dr. Weber. Uh, go ahead and ask that right now. Yeah, I was actually thinking about my anthropology class because it, the, it is North American Indians and about using the term Indians instead of indigenous. Is there going to be a change for that? Well, I would imagine that's being talked about, yes. Yeah, because I I, th I think we talked about within our department um, the use of the word alien as well, which is not acceptable in my mind. Um, and yet one of the textbooks had it and I took issue with that. And so noticing and finding these things that are sort of buried in there in the system and pulling them out and replacing them with things that are more inclusive, more equitable, and and not offensive. And we don't want anyone to feel like they come to class and they're being uh, attacked in some way. And I feel like that word, like and the same, like you said, indigenous is a much better um, word choice and it's not offensive. So, so uh, good. I'm going to go off on that too um, because we're on the subject of curriculum and uh, Sado brings a, a good point on the classes that we have currently that might have difficulties or might have issues that should be resolved in the future. Um, so let's talk about those classes that we're taking and even our own experiences because you know we have members of Latinx in here um, and even if you're not Latinx, even if you're white, uh, there's still some things that might irk you when it comes to the class curriculum. So I want to uh, turn this over to Cindy, because Cindy is um, a woman in STEM. And if you know, we also have uh, Hope in STEM and Women in STEM on campus, uh, because the STEM field uh, is known for its lack of women, and we're trying to help boost uh, awareness and boost their, uh, their platform. So Cindy, let's turn it over to you. Um, being a STEM major and a woman in STEM, 
do you have any classes that irk you or that you feel like need to be resolved when it comes to diversity or equity? Honestly, I, you know, it's the only thing I can think of is it's just a memory I have from my physics class, just being like one or three women in there. Um, otherwise, mostly my classes in my science major have been pretty, had a good number of women in there, but that was probably the most the extreme that I'd ever seen. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's challenging to be a woman in STEM just because you you're you're surrounded obviously by males and for me you know growing up stem i didn't have a role model in that in that field and kind of figuring it out but i think that the faculty there have been very supportive you know especially since i joined the honors program um but i i think my biggest issue what i noticed was you know it was more like in uh, like elementary and you know the K through 12 system is where I see the biggest gap in diversity just because um, it was I just never related to any of the history as much as I love history um, I just never related to U.S. history at all because it was not my history or the history of my people um, and so I that kind of changed when you know I was in honors and I took the seminar and I had to write this paper on dissent, and I decided to write it on this figure uh, in Guatemala where she advocated for um, the Mayans because during that time, what happened is that they experienced genocide to so the Guatemalan government was killing off the Mayan community. Um, so I think that was my biggest thing about diversity was probably mostly through the K through 12. Um, and then maybe later on when I went to um, CCSD, it was just noticing that there wasn't a lot of people who looked like me. So I think that's going to be my biggest concern going to university where I'm not going to see a lot of representation of people who look like me. And, you know, it, you just, when someone is that uh, an ex, you just kind of have like this bond with them. You understand each other kind of a bit. So I, I think that's probably what's concerning to me. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that um, as far as the Latinx community. Um, we kind of touched that um, with our Yo Soy segments or Seidel and Cindy Yo, Yo Soy segments um, where it's uh, rooted in family and it's rooted in culture um, no matter uh, what country you come from. And sure, there are some differences. And I mean, even when it comes to like being Guatemalan versus being Mexican, um, there are some differences there. And yeah. people still have yet to understand that. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I, me and my brother joke about this because there's always this assumption that I'm Mexican. And when I explain that I'm from Guatemala, I think they get confused and they mention that I have to explain that I'm not from Guadalajara because I think that's what they think I am. Because they assume that Guatemala is part of Mexico. And we're like, no, no. <laughs> so it's kind of that, just not recognizing other you know, how diverse a certain community is, because I know in, like, Asian communities, the big thing was, you know, you're either Chinese or Japanese, but uh, there's so much more in that community besides, you know, those two main groups. Yeah, exactly. Um, and even with Sedel, I mean, she's Cuban, so, but I'm sure that there's a lot of times where she gets lumped in the same category. 
Um, so Seidel, do you want to touch upon that and even your classes in general, how you feel? Yeah, so um, for the classes, I just noticed that about the name for my Anthropology 105. Um, I have Professor Torres um, and he is Native. And um, I just felt like the title is inappropriate because Indigenous people are not Indians. Those are a whole, that's a whole different culture. And so I just, you know, I was kind of wondering why is this still a name even for a class? But um, I guess we're working on that. So that is good, taking the proper steps. Um, and then as for culture, I think, yes, I like I have many times been kind of people assume that I am Mexican or I am white or like all these kind of different nationalities. Um, and they do like whenever they do think I am Hispanic, they kind of categorize me as like the same as the rest when we have different words and we have different cultures. So I think that that is one of the things that is hard because you want people to understand not everybody from, you know, that speaks Spanish is the same. So, um, and then for me, it was very different because I, I'm Cuban. And in my country, um, we have Afro-Latinos, and I am from an Afro-Latino family, so we <laughs> have different, like, skin tones in our family. Like, we have black, white, all kinds of skin tones. My parents are darker than me, actually. So it was like I never saw, like, as a child, um, I never saw people differently because I never thought that I would have to. And um, when I came to this country, I noticed the difference, how people treated certain people. I, and, you know, it made me really realize how hard it is for other people with different skin tones. And me, I personally, like a lot of people assumed that I was white. So I never got that treatment until I, <laughs> they realized that I was Hispanic. And then I did have those type of treatments. But um, it made me realize that, you know, some people live in different countries and they're not used to, you know, separating people by race. And then you come to, you know, a whole nother country and then you see how bad it is with racism. And, you know, I've, like I said, at times I wouldn't experience it because people would assume I'm a certain race, but then when people would find out I am Hispanic, the the treatment would change. Like it would be like a whole 180. And I, you know, that's when I realized that our country does have problems with racism. And I think that it's something that we have to just continuously work on and, you know, just make sure that everybody, if you're, if like people are willing to be educated on it, then that's a good step. You know, like I have students, for example, which is really interesting. I had a student today that came up to me. He is three years old. And he was telling me, Miss S, um, like, how come that little girl is like, 
um, she's black and I'm, I'm lighter. <laughs> and then he wanted me to explain. But then somebody else heard the conversation and they just took it wrong. But I, you know, I said he just wants to be educated about race. So I sat him down and we talked about it. And he explained to me like what he learned in class about race. And it was a wonderful conversation. And I feel like people have those type of conversations where instead of like, you know, like bashing on someone or being like, oh, no, no, you know, but educate them like on it, then we would have a different world right now. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, you, you brought up a, uh, a good point about, um, uh, I'm going to use the term whitewashing, um, because Hispanics and Latinx communities, I mean, there is that common phrase where whether it's because of assimilation or because of the color of our skin, uh, we fall in the category of being whitewashed, quote unquote, um, because of American society or what uh, white America has done to our cultures. Um, and Asian American really relate with that as well. Um, because we kind of fit into this mix where we could look one way, we could look the other and blend in. Whereas if you're on the polar opposites, I mean, you're always going to be seen. Uh, well, I shouldn't say always, but typically you're seen as that color first and foremost. And there's a lot of uh, fear and hatred when it comes to that. So, um, and I'll get back to that. Before I do, I wanted to point it over to Nick. Uh, because Nick, what I like about you is that it seems like you just judge people off of what they do rather than like anything else. Like you could be talking to anybody and you'd be fine. So I just want to hear your background on how you feel about diversity, um, where MSJC is at, and your own family as far as diversity. Okay, so I was brought up that the color of the skin doesn't matter. It's the quality of the person that truly matters. That's how I was raised. But as I got older and came into school, I've seen things that I was appalled by. And I've heard things that just literally makes me want to scream. I hear African-Americans calling themselves what they were called back in history. Like it's a pet name and it's why, why is it like this? And I'm relatively new to MSJC. I started in the summer, so I haven't really noticed what's going on around there, but I, never judge a person by their skin. I judge them by their heart and their character. So when you hear racial slurs, um, you know, what, whether or not it's the color of the skin, like, so for instance, the N-word, um, even though it might be um, not you being called it or not like someone uh, not of color, someone white calling somebody of color that word, you get offended no matter what. I totally get offended. It's not like it's happening to me, but it feels like it is. Right. And I have family of color in my extended family, and I'm sure they've heard it in their life, and it makes me hurt for them. Mm -hmm. and it, just, uh, it just doesn't feel right, no matter what. Right. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's a struggle that uh, our society uh, tries to get rid of that word or keep it involved. Um, there's been a struggle with like, you know, who's allowed to use that word and why doesn't everybody just use that word, you know, and then we could totally eradicate what that word means. Uh, but I don't think that's the right method because it's always going to have a meeting. So Dr. Weber, you want to speak on that? Um, yeah, it's, it's really dehumanizing, I think, when we use terminology like that. And I, th I think that's the purpose of the language is to take away a group's humanity by calling them racial slurs because then they immediately become less than. Um, and it makes it easier for that racism to creep in and that ethnocentrism to take hold. And so I think that as far as things go, that's sort of the purpose of them is to dehumanize people. Um, a lot of times you'll hear people of color referred to as animals as well. And that's another thing that is dehumanizing, um, which is unfortunate because we are all human beings on this planet trying to live together um, and no one is better than the other yet our society has constructed this racial hierarchy of privilege um, and it's built into our systems um, and I think those racial slurs are a part of that sort of that privilege and that knocking people down so that we can justify seeing them as less than, which is unfortunate. Yeah, and I, I just want to point out the obvious, obvious. Uh, so none of us are Black or African American. And so uh, at the end of the day, our opinions um, and what we're saying right now don't hold the voice of uh, Black Americans and African Americans. So. Um, you know, just take our take our opinions with a grain of salt. But if you could hear what how we feel about the word and how you know it still can hold society back from getting better, then hopefully it makes you rethink twice about um, using racial slurs, even if they they mean a term of endearment. So, um, but I, I want to move back to um, whitewashing and Asian Americans, um, because like I said, we can relate um, as Latinx members. And I'm gonna turn it over to Jesus. Um, Jesus, are you familiar with the term whitewashing and have you seen that term being used? Uh, yes, but I've always, um, it's never been in a racial context. I've always used, I've used that term before and I've heard it mainly used as to mean uh, of like removing all the ne negative sides of something and only presenting the positives of the subject. So, um, so like, like taking something, yeah. Uh, so it's, or it, I've heard it mainly in the context of like history, like whitewashing history where you remove any of the negative aspects of a certain person, like a founder, um, which, you know, if, anyone does looking into them, they, they all have negative aspects. They don't negate their positive aspects, but there's a portion of people who 
only want to focus on the positive aspects and that's referred to as whitewashing i have not heard it in a in like a racial uh sense gotcha so um so i mean we'll we'll talk about in the racial sense and also in that sense because you are i mean you're essentially turning um everything negative by saying that there's not like really a positive way to say that about race um but when it comes to Asian Americans and uh, Hispanic or Latinx Americans, uh, language is one of the bigger uh, explanations or examples of where whitewashing can exist, um, or at least uh, being phrased in that way. So uh, for me, I don't speak Spanish. Um, and it's because I was born uh, and raised off of English. I mean, my parents and my grandparents uh, didn't teach Spanish because they felt that I or their family wouldn't succeed as far because they had to assimilate with the culture. Um, but when you do that, when you don't speak the language of your native tongue, you can be seen as not a part of that culture anymore. And you can also be seen as um, still like you know someone separate from being white uh, to american society um, and that's very common amongst the latinx community and uh, the asian community so um jesus as far as language um, do you see people that don't speak their native tongues uh, being treated differently than people who do speak in their native tongues oh well uh actually on that uh... I, from in my extended family that lives in Mexico, when I visit them, uh, for a brief moment, I was uh, I was laughed at for my accent. Uh, but uh, again, it's among cousins, not like actual adults or anything. I don't think right. they. But yeah, but for for a moment, there was a few jokes of like how I didn't know the exact pronunciation, so. Uh, Yes, our our cousins or my cousins would uh would pick up on, on that. Uh, so there is definitely treatment based on it. And generally speaking, uh, I have seen like YouTube videos of people saying who are like mixed uh, or from an, another nation, and then they don't know their that their home nation's uh, language that well, but they know English, and they often say the same thing, which is once they go back to visit their extended family. Uh, they usually feel embarrassed at first and that they can't speak with the native language, but, uh, and they feel outcasted. Um, I didn't have that because, uh, although I don't speak it as well as a native person, I did grow up with it. So I know the words and I can have a conversation, uh, just here and there, I'll make a mistake. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's there's a certain barrier, especially because like you're more into uh, a, a different culture, um, which is going to affect your dialect and uh, your speaking abilities. Uh, I'm going to turn that question over to say Dell or Cindy if you want to take on that as far as as far as language in the native tongue. Um, I would say for language. I can totally relate because there was a time in my life that it was really hard because, like I said, I, well, I grew up in L.A., so um, 
a lot of the times, you know, it was really hard for Hispanics. And I know that at school I had issues as well. So I tried very hard to like get rid of my accent um, because it seemed easier for me if people just didn't know I was Hispanic. And it's, it's weird because I still do it. <laughs> There's times that, you know, I tell myself, you need to just, you know, like not bring out your accent. Um, and I don't know why I still do that. I think it's just, it's something that I just carried on with me. Um, but I, it's hard for me because I switch off a lot. I speak fluent Spanish at home. <laughs> And then I speak fluent English outside. So it, 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 it's very hard because when you're switching off so much, you create that accent. Because there's times that I haven't and there's times that I don't. But, you know, I, I do feel that I still do that because I still feel that, you know, um, I've had certain situations where I was like, you know, um, taken advantage of because I'm Hispanic, like, um, for example, one time I, you know, I was buying my first car and because my parents were speaking fluent Spanish, you know, I gave a deposit and they stole my money and I never got my car. So they just thought, oh, this, you know, this girl, her parents can't even defend her. And so it was a lot of situations that me and my family have gone through with that. So in order to help my family um, so nothing can happen to me or them. I have tried to get rid of my accent because I just feel like it's actually been more successful for me um, in order to survive pretty much. Yeah, and that, that kind of brings it back around to what I was saying earlier about my family where it's just uh, assimilation and not speaking uh, Spanish uh, because it was just easier to adapt that way, which is, uh, which is tragic um, because you lose that culture. Uh, but I want to turn it over from, um, you know, we don't, we don't got much time left, but I do want to make this point um, because we're talking about skin color and race and diversity. And of course, I'm heavily focusing on Asian Americans, Black Americans, and Latinx. Um, but we have to be fair and think about uh, our white counterparts as well, because uh, during this time, it's polarizing on both ends. So you're going to see racism and discrimination, uh, fear and hatred based off of any skin color, really. So it's important to see all sides of the aspect. So I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Weber and Nick as far as how they've been treated being white and also on the subject of being a, a woman or a man or trans. Um, so, Dr. Weber, can you tell us about your experiences with racism? Um, probably just realizing my privilege, I guess, um, was huge for me. Because I, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it's a very Spanish indigenous place because the Spaniards came and colonized it. Um, and so everything that I grew up with was, it wasn't that diverse. It was white. And then there were, there were your Spanish and your indigenous folks. And so when I, I moved to California, which is far more diverse, um, 
I did not realize the level of privilege that I had just um, just sort of, even as a woman, I, I really don't have that many issues with the discrimination other than if you take your car in and the mechanics try and rip you off. But um, what I did recognize is that my students did. Um, and it was really eye-opening for me because I just assumed everyone else had the same experience as me. And, and obviously that's not the case. Um, and so I recognize my privilege and my goal is to help be the voice for the voiceless or the people who don't have as much um, as I was given just by being a white um, person in America. Um, but that's been really eye-opening for me, I think, is to just recognize privilege and the different ways that we're being taught. And like you said, Eddie, recognize that history has been whitewashed. Um, even just as a child growing up in New Mexico, they took out a lot of the indigenous violence from the curriculum. And just recognizing all of that and, and making sure that we're not glossing over or forgetting people um, or changing history or whitewashing history, like you said, um, because we're the group that's in power. Uh, I think that those are sort of my takeaways. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, you know, um, as far as just being historically uh, recorded and uh, that we still have a lot of work to do as far as that um, and just recognizing where we're privileged, where we're not. And that, that's not only with uh, white Americans, but like I said, that's every color. Um, so Nick, uh, same question with you. Um, have you ever experienced racism or discrimination being white? And do you recognize your privilege? So I was born and raised in California my entire life. And I haven't been judged by the color of my skin, but because mentally I have a disability called autism and made me different from everyone. So I was more judged on that rather than the color of my skin. And so I... Let's go on that as far as a disability, because that's what I was going to get into next. So yeah, talk about um, your disability and any discrimination with that. So my specific disability is called Asperger's syndrome, which it's rather difficult for me to explain. You guys at home can look it up, but it I, have experienced that it's harder for me socially to interact with others. So when I actually go out on a limb to try, it's actually a lot for me. But mentally, I'm as smart as a whip. I know my stuff. When I ask to shout it out, I know it. Well, good. And, and do you feel, and you also did a segment uh, called uh, Our Disabilities Will Not Define Us, um, that you are more than capable even with your disabilities. And let's even talk about the term disability. Do you feel like that is a negative term uh, to describe your abilities? Uh, do you wish that there was another way to describe it? 
So I'm definitely on board of getting rid of the term disability and replacing it with different ability. Because we all have different abilities than others. It's not like we're missing something, but rather we're better at some things rather than others. Absolutely. And I am on board with that too. I think there are plenty of positives um, with autism and with um, things that are known as disabilities. Uh, not saying that it's like a superpower or anything, but it's we can't have it looked at that way because that's that's another thing that just keeps us holding it back. It's it's a slur almost. Right. Um, so, and on the subject of uh, disabilities, um, I want to turn it over to Cynthia. Cynthia joined us a little bit uh, later, but uh, she's here now. So thank you for joining us, Cynthia. And if you don't mind, I would like you to talk about uh, your epilepsy and if there has been any discrimination or difficulties um, with being epileptic. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, well, oh my gosh, there's been a lot of complications, honestly. If, when I was first diagnosed, people would take it the wrong way and they would bully me and say that I was faking it. So they would fake seizures and it would be really annoying, honestly. Once I started to like understand the bullying, I kind of just ignored it in high school. Maybe some people like, yeah, they'd say, um, they, I don't think they fully understood what epilepsy was. So they just kind of would poke at you, but I would block them out. I wouldn't let them get to me. And now that I'm older, it's kind of like, uh, looking back now, I would say I don't remember who I was then, to be honest with you. Wow. Uh, and would you say you don't remember because, like, you choose not to? Because you're like, I don't even want to think like about it. Like, to block it out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I know you kind of mentioned that with, like, uh, with photos, like the hospital or something. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's tied to that, but, you know, when I hear stuff like that, it's like, um, I can empathize with it. Um, honestly, I don't want to get too much into detail because I honestly can't wait for it to come out and for everyone to read, read it. But, like, um, the hospital was, like, really big, and I didn't find out I was in a coma until, like, a year later because I don't remember being in the hospital and when you tell me about it I'll cry so it's just hearing about it it does put me it just kind of does upset me seeing pictures it upset me it will upset me that's why I do delete my pictures um but yeah I don't looking back then I just I like the memories I do actually have a quote that I took a picture at a hospital and I was like, I don't remember taking that picture. And I had no, I just, I don't know what, what made me take the picture. But I love it so much. So. That's, that's good though. I mean, I'm glad that you love that. And, uh, it was kind of a sperm of the moment thing. Mm -hmm. uh, well, thank you for sharing, you know, and I, and, you know, I know it might be difficult to do it on the spot, especially when I do bring up something like the hospital. So again, thank you so much for opening them up. And that goes for all of you. Uh, Nick, 
Sidel, Jesus, Cindy, Dr. Weber. Um, these talks are important. Um, and I'm glad that we were able to come around and do this for diversity, uh, not just based off of color, but because of disabilities, because of gender, and so on and so forth. So I'm going to leave think, it. Oh, go ahead. I'm going to interrupt you there. Uh, I know that Nick says disability, but for me, I don't say disability. I like to say that I'm a warrior, to be honest with you. Warrior. Okay. So yeah. we have two terms, uh, warrior and uh, people with different abilities. Um, I like those. I really do. You know, and you are, Cynthia, you are a warrior. You fight. Um, and so um, thank you. That's good to know. Um, so I'm going to end it there um, because we are uh, running out of time. Um, and I guess the, the wrap up for this is we still have a long ways to go. Uh, for when it comes to diversity um, and it's not going to go away overnight you know we came into this um, kind of seeing uh, what msjc is going to do as far as diversity you know we've had this equity plan and this call to action and plan uh, for years now and it's like what's going to happen what's going to happen what's going to happen because our environment just seems so fast-paced you know and like as students we're expected to do these assignments within a week or whatever the case do these discussion posts go to these zoom meetings it just seems like everything's so instantaneous why can't it be that way with our pledge why can't it be that way with these uh problems in our society well like we've covered today historically throughout time has been recorded in these systemic racism problems and even as much as we do right now, it's still going to be a problem as long as there's one voice that's going to be negative in that sense. So keep that in mind. Uh, thank you for joining us in this talk. Thank you all for opening them up. I'm Eddie Landeros, Nick Pettis, Dr. Weber, Jesus Alcala, Cedel Perez, Cindy Lopez, Cindy Carrillo. Uh, thank you for joining us. This has been Talent Talks on Diversity. We'll see you.